and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Nick is joining me uh, because we have a special announcement. You may have gotten a text early this morning, um, but we have some big news to share. We have officially hired an associate pastor. Oh, I really is why I know a little more. Um, so here's what I want to do first. Before we tell you who it is, I want to talk to you just a little bit about the process of how we got to where we are this morning. Um, uh, the, the, this process, I keep using the word precious. It was very precious to me for a couple of reasons. Um, one was because this was our first time to hire a full-time employee out of the gate. Everyone who has worked for our church previously has started out as a volunteer and then like worked their way into getting paid a little and then a little more and then a little more. And we just kind of incremental, incrementally add hours. Um, and so this is our first full-time thing. And then the second thing is, um, the person that was leaving the position was one of my dearest friends on the planet. And so it made the process feel very precious to me in a way that I was like maybe I'm too close to this. Uh, So our first thing that we did uh, was we formed a search team out of people from our church to represent you. So Nick was on our search team. I think we have a slide. We'll show you the rest. Nick, I'm wondering if your picture was taken at Owen Mills. (laughs) I don't know if you're on. (laughs) On the On the background, I was thinking, you know, if the same background has been working for 40 years, why would you change it? Like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, We voted Tracy the best headshot. Um, She's an actress, so. I can't tell if she's saying, man. A little of both, right, James? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So this is our search team um, who we were wanting to represent you and represent us. Um, And so uh, our process uh, took place in three rounds. Basically, uh, I think it was like toward the end of October, beginning of November of last year, we started taking resumes and we got resumes from all over the country, like California and New York and Kansas City and some from in this room, which I keep using the word precious, but felt incredibly like an honor and a very precious thing to have people from here who would want to give their lives away in a deeper level here. So um, we took resumes for a while and then we had a three round process that happened through a series of interviews. Um, And then one of the rounds of the process was a writing assignment. Um, and that writing assignment was no joke. And, and honestly, the reason we did it is we thought it might help us kind of, uh, this is, a, I hate this phrase, but like weed some folks out, but it did, it did not really do that. No, I actually have stolen a lot of it and I'm publishing a book right now under my name. <laughs> is that, it's is, just called is that your, Theology. Is that your picture? Where uh, your yeah, it's the front page. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it really was unbelievable what came back to us um, and just made our jobs a lot harder. 
Uh, but the process ended uh, with us uh, as a search team doing a group interview with a couple of candidates and then a series of meetups and dinners and, and things like that um, as we sort of processed what this might look like with our last couple of folks. Um, and then we took a couple of weeks and we just sat and prayed. And, um, and so when we came back together to make a decision, um, what was a delight to me in that moment was we came back together and we truly were all on the same page. Our, our notes said similar things. Our thoughts were in similar places. And so um, I don't, it, it feels important to me to say this, but it was like a unanimous, this is what we all thought and what we all hoped. Do you want to tell everyone who it is? Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> Hey, uh, it is Chris Campbell. Chris is in the wings. <laughs> we would normally start now, but Joe, you go on. Hey, it's real fun. I, I, I love that we get to bring Chris out here um, and talk about him a little bit because I think it would be easy for him to hide in the wings and listen to us say kind things. But I want him to hear it and you to see him as we say why we chose Chris. Um, I think the thing that came up a lot that I felt um, heard a lot and I felt a lot from was that Chris has had a pull on his life to do ministry, it seems like, I mean, his whole life. Um, people have called that out to him, um, spoken it to him, and I think he has been, not wrestling's the wrong word, I think constantly being pulled to that, but like in a servant leadership kind of way um, that has been really, really cool to see. Um, it's not a thing where I think some people just jump right in and go, this is what I'm supposed to do. And Chris has continued to ask the question, am I supposed to do this? Um, not in a uncertainty, but in a, I want to make sure I'm following the Lord well. Um, and, and I think that humility is something that's really awesome about him. On top of that, um, I think he's brilliant, um, but he would argue with that and probably shake his head. But that's <laughs> another special thing about him. Um, one thing that I've seen Chris, even from kind of, I was around Chris, I guess, first, right when he was finishing high school, and I've always known Chris to be, um, he digs into so many different um, hobbies, passions, interests, um, and, but is all in on those things. And I think that's something that we're excited that he will offer here because he's a jack of all trades, not just in that he can play instruments and sing and lead small groups and, and, and do young life, but in that um, if you have something that is interesting and you tell Chris about it, he will likely go home and research it and then have a conversation with you about it and try and plan, hey, how are we going to make our own longboards? Um, which I think he's done. I remember, I remember having this conversation with him at one point. Um, and I saw that come out. And I would encourage you to, um, to dig in with him on that because I think he wants to. But he said in his interview, he made a mention of a couple things that he termed. He was like, he said, well, this is crazy. I don't know that I sh we would ever do this. But then the things he said were so beautiful because they 
were ways that I really feel like Jesus would lead. It wasn't, let's get a group of people together, and I'm going to tell them things. It was, I just want to spend time with people in a way that would be engaging and moving towards some end, some project, something fun, um, but I think in a way that, that leads to community um, that is Christ-centered. And so um, ask him about building a boat sometime um, or, or making his own jeans or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Or to make you some jeans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I like jeans. Um, <laughs> that will not be on the clock. Your jean making. <laughs> but so we are all super excited um, that he applied and made the decision. I think he just followed the Lord. And so I think the Lord made the decision and it was just easy for us. Um, I, again, I keep using the word precious, but there is something. I don't very, say precious that no, much. No, you don't. I really, I, feels I, like I try to come up with. handsome. <laughs> I need the word for handsome to precious. I need, I, I tried to come up with a cooler word this morning. I couldn't find one. Um, but there is something about knowing Nick and I met Chris about the same time, uh, over a decade ago when he was right out of high school. And there's something about, um, knowing and loving someone for over 10 years and um, that feels like an honor and a privilege to get to uh, work with someone you know very well. And um, so Chris and his wife, Hannah, who is um, really precious to me, <laughs> who is one of the great loves of my life, it feels like uh, more than, I don't know, I don't have any more words. So I'm going to pray. How about that? So here's what we do here. You don't have to do this if you think it's weird, but um, sometimes we like to like connect our bodies with what we're doing. So if you feel comfortable, would you just like reach out your hand and we're just going to pray and bless Chris. If you're near Hannah, you can put your hand toward her or put your hand toward the stage and we're just going to pray for them, okay? So, Jesus, uh, we thank you. We thank you that um, you made Chris and you put him in this community. And you raised him deeply in this community. We thank you uh, for his parents who raised him to know you from a very, very young age. And we thank you that his whole life has been marked by loving you, by service to you. Um, and so I just ask your blessing. I ask your blessing on him and I ask your blessing on Hannah. Would you fill uh, their home uh, with the joy of ministry, would you protect them from the hard? Would you protect them from the struggles? Would you protect them from, um, I don't know, the, the kind of hours that pull them away from each other? And would you um, bind them together? I thank you for the honor and privilege of um, getting to work with dear friends. And so I just thank you. Thank you for our church. And thank you for these people. In your name we pray. Amen. Woo! Okay, so now we're going to pass some, yeah, you can clap. You can clap a bit, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to say one more thing. This is really cool. When we announced that we are going to be hiring something, I heard this rumor that one of Chris's best friends called him in the parking lot and said, you should apply for that job. And he did. And if that says anything about him, that's what it is. The people who know him best said, this is for you. So. Our reading today comes from Mark 2, 13 through 17. Uh, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he, 
As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, as lo- along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Woohoo! Thanks be to God, and thanks, Josh. It's really awesome. Hey, uh, if you guys do not know me, my name is Erin Britt, and I am one of the now two associate pastors here. Um, My focus is on humans that are zero to 18 years of age-ish, and it is really, really, truly a blast. And today, since it is Youth Serve Sunday and we have youth hanging out and serving in our church, I wanted to give you a bit of an update of what our youth group has been doing, because it's been really awesome. This whole past semester, we've been going through something called Alpha Youth, which if you were here last week, you got to see a snippet of a video from the original Alpha, and ours looks a little bit different, but the goal is the same, to open up a space for conversation about the big, deep questions of faith and life, and to be able to have those together. Um, And the goal of this, and also um, youth serving in our church, is kind of the same, to tell our students that there is nothing that is off limits for them in the kingdom of God. That there's no question too big or a place that they can serve in faith that are off limits because of their age. We believe that they are able to do it all. They can interact in any way they want to. And whenever we believe that these questions aren't too big, we end up asking them like we do in Alpha. And through that, uh, not only are their faiths shaped and changed, but so is mine which is a really funny place to be if you've ever been there. Uh, Whenever you walk in expecting to be the leader, but it seems like you're the only one whose brain is getting all shuffled around, you ask them a question and they're like, yes, obviously, I know the answer, clearly. And I'm like, I've never thought about that in my entire life. It's always a weird, weird place to be. But it's really fun. It's a fun place to be. Um, And I shouldn't not expect that anymore. You know, I think we've all experienced this, that as you get older and grow and change, you realize just how much you really don't know and how much more I want to learn and to know and to be a part of. As our staff was planning this sermon series, Lindsay asked me if I would preach, and I was like, yes, sounds like a blast, cannot wait. Um, And then I realized I'd be speaking to you all about the Holy Spirit, which felt really bold of me to do. Um, I felt, because I feel a little bit unqualified, not because um, I haven't studied enough or because I'm not Chad and Chad is the Holy Spirit's best friend and so he can only talk about him, Um, but because I'm a really negative and skeptical person. And so I've approached the Holy Spirit that way. And you might be like, oh, Aaron, you can't be that negative and pessimistic, but I am. And I'm very sorry, very sorry to break it to you. When I came to the vineyard, when I started working here, um, I didn't not believe that the Spirit could do miraculous things, but it just kind of felt inconsequential. It felt like, sure, why not? But that's over there. Um, It was really exciting to hear the the stories of the Spirit moving in people's lives. And at best, I would think, cool. And at worst, I would assume that it was a manufactured experience. 
When I finally met Jesus, I was very, very protective of him. Because when I actually discovered who Jesus was, it wasn't the guy that everyone else had been talking about. Christians and faithless alike both were giving a story of a guy who was harsh and cruel, and I wanted nothing to do with that. But then I met him. And he, Jesus was a person that was kind to the outcasts and an empower of the lost and redeemer of the broken. And I was amazed. I was blown away. And I was furious that people like me would be missing it. So I was very protective of his image. And I would refuse to be a part of anything that might dare misrepresent him. And this felt good and right. Like I was the last line of defense for the good of Jesus. I was Jesus's defender. That was me, big and strong. So I went to a vineyard conference in February of 2020, and this was a little under a year since I started working at the vineyard, if you want a timeline of my job, which is crazy. Um, and honestly, I did not have a great time. I went in with the expectation that I needed to go through everyone's actions around me with a fine-tooth comb and make sure that no one was acting out of place and no one was harming people in the name of Jesus and that no one was manufacturing any experience. Because, right, it was my, it was my job to figure that out, and I would refuse to be a part of anything else that would do that. On night three, I was furious. I was over it. I had decided then that the next day I was going to fly home and tell Lindsay that I was done. I was quitting. I was out of the vineyard. I can't be a part of this. Because I got to see the work of the Spirit around me and up close, and I did not understand it. I could not figure it out at all. It was confusing, and I couldn't make a list of it, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And so it was just too much. So I was out. I went to sleep that night and woke up the next morning still burning fire within me. And so as much as I had been texting Lindsay about all of my struggles, um, I decided to give her a break and go talk to the one person in um, the entire conference that I felt in the movement I could trust the most. It was the woman who was standing at the vineyard and women table that was head of their organization. And I said, no matter where we are, if there's a woman that's choosing to support women, I can ask them anything. They'll be fine. They'll be excited to answer my questions. So I did. I walked up to her and I asked. I said, is this it? Does the vineyard believe I have to have these crazy moves and experiences with the Spirit to belong to Jesus? Is that our only focus here, that we're just trying to have some experience? Is that it? Can I belong here? And in short, she said, yes and no, that Jesus loves you and all your experiences with the Spirit, and also you can belong here. And then in her kindness and humility, she prayed for me. I was angry and arrogant and 23 years old, thinking I knew everything. And in her kindness, she decided to pray for me. Whenever she prayed for me, what was fire in my veins turned to clarity. Because instead of seeing me for how I was reacting, she saw me for what I was, confused and desperate. And then suddenly, I was able to clearly see. I wanted to be Jesus' defender, but that isn't what he needs. Surprisingly, Jesus, the Lord and Savior of all, doesn't need me to spend all my time and energy defending him. Uh, Shalane, the woman who prayed for me, she is a wonderful person. Uh, later in the conference, she found me. It was just later that day. And she handed me a bracelet. She said, this bracelet was given to me by someone who knew that I was coming here. They said I would meet someone that would need this. And so I'm giving it to you. So I received it, and I said, cool, and then didn't really think about it at all. Um, and it wasn't until I was putting this together that I found the bracelet that I still have. And what it reads is it says, trust in the Lord. 
I was mad at God for doing things miraculous around me that I couldn't touch or feel. And somehow the Holy Spirit moved through this chain of events of incredible people to hand me a physical thing with words written on it, giving me a real clear sign that I needed to trust in the Lord. I wanted something tangible, and I got it and missed it. Went right over my head. Did did not make any sense. Um, But I needed to know that I could trust in the Lord, and I needed to know to trust in the Lord. I was kind of just in a place of chaos. And in a time of utter chaos for the disciples, Jesus asks them to trust him as well. Jesus promises his disciples as they are fearful and worried and desperate that he will be sending them an advocate, speaking about the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word for advocate, which I'm not going to try to say, um, is defined a little bit differently than how I imagine an advocate. It is defined as someone who is summoned to come alongside or aid. So Jesus was saying that the Holy Spirit would be near to us and help us. Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit to desperate people. And so I think that's when the Spirit comes the nearest. Being a part of the vineyard now, I realize that the large-scale moves of the Holy Spirit, especially in the vineyard, haven't been preceded by a choreographed parade of expectation, but instead by three words. Come, Holy Spirit. Those three words have led our movement and thousands of people into incredible experiences with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've realized that at the core of it all, that in the vineyard we don't ask for the Holy Spirit to show up because we possess full knowledge of the complicated, but because we ask embracing the simplicity and the mystery of the Holy Spirit. So I think when we look at things like the Asbury Revival, if you're keeping up with that, or any large-scale movements of the Spirit, whether in a church or a camp or a park or a home, and we find ourselves only mad or upset about it, then I think that's when we've decided that the complexity is too much, that then we have decided to be the last line of defense, an impenetrable stone wall. And now don't misunderstand me. I think that it is really wise to question things in the church. But if emotionalism is the only answer we are getting to that question, I think we are missing it. I think we're missing out on the mystery and the goodness of the Holy Spirit. Having my job is a huge honor, and I do not take lightly the pain that has been caused in the church by wanting to manufacture a move of the Spirit. It is terrible. But as someone who loves this church, let's mean you all, um, not the institution or the building, obviously, um, (laughs) I refuse to allow us to miss the incredible work of the Spirit. Where there is pain, the Holy Spirit is near, It is the work of an advocate, the one who comes alongside and aid. As Josh read before we started, um, Mark 2.17 says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Um, I feel I've heard this scripture used in most contexts to boldly claim that if people don't really look like that of a good religious person, they're still allowed to come to church. You know, like sick people are allowed here too. Um, Or that we are still allowed to be around people who maybe aren't pursuing Christ. Um, or maybe that um, us healthy Christians don't need it anymore, but the sick people out there, they do. Um, and that's a lot. That's a lot to unpack, but we're not going to do that right now. Um, I'm going to actually just put that back in a box and put it right here, and then we're going to look at this from a different perspective, okay? Um, but I didn't want to not address that. Um, so I want you to look at this from a perspective instead of us and them, but a then and now perspective. Thankfully, most sick people don't stay sick forever. Sadly, healthy people don't stay healthy forever. It is a terrible push and pull in our human bodies as we live. There will not be one singular thing. 
It's both a gift and a curse. So if our bodies can hold both of these things, sickness and health, then who has Jesus come for? I think Jesus has come for those in their moment of need, in their moment of desperation, for those that know in their body, mind, and soul that they are too far out in the deep end. Now, does this mean that Jesus isn't present when we are joyful and healthy and happy? Absolutely not. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus' heart is broken for the brokenhearted. That this coming to rescue was never about playing in the kiddie pool or doggy paddling, but saving those that are drowning. And we can know this, right? We can know in our minds that Jesus comes to save. But when we talk about that from a perspective of the Holy Spirit as the other part of the Trinity, of him coming in our aid to save us, things get a little murky, right? Jesus said that, it, that he was sending someone on his behalf that would never leave us. Jesus wasn't the end of the rescuing. The Holy Spirit is present here and now and ready for you to ask for his presence. And that is why we plead, come Holy Spirit. You might now be thinking, whoa, Aaron, where are you going? Seems like you might ask me to do something here, um, and I will, but I promise it isn't anything crazy. Um, I want you to just walk with me, and instead of looking forward, look back. We're going to walk through three different kinds of prayer, and I want you to pay attention to where you've seen these in your life before. Because whenever I received prayer at a conference, it wasn't that the moves of the Spirit around me changed. He was still on mission, but my perspective changed. And I was able to see more clearly. And I believe the Holy Spirit who loves us comes in aid, has been beside us all along. And I just want us to be awake to it. So the first kind of prayer I want us to look at is a prayer of movement. And while I'll always be really passionate about prayer walking, that isn't exactly what I'm talking about here. Um, I'm talking about an action paired with a prayer. And believing that when we ask for the Holy Spirit to show up as we're taking an action, we believe that he will show up in a real and tangible way for us. Psalm 63.1 says, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. The psalm is speaking of a searching, of a moving. That there is a crying out to God, a searching to at once be fulfilled. And now, all of this sounds really vague. And I live in the vague, and so I get it. Um, but there was a time in my life recently where this became really, really real for me. Um, I've gotten to do a lot of cool things in this job, and one of them is to jump on a Zoom call with all of the youth pastors in the region and talk highs and lows and all of the things, which is really cool. I think it is wise for me and everyone in this room to talk to people that have their job or know their experiences and are able to speak to them in a really clear way. So it's awesome. Um, but it was also terrible because, I don't know, have any of you ever felt not qualified for your job um, and felt just uh, a little uncomfortable in it? Because um, I sure have. Um, I am just me. I am just Aaron. And suddenly I'm about to be talking with all of these people who are doing my job probably better than I am um, and comparing notes, which is terrifying. My biggest fear in the world is that one day everyone will find me out. Find what? I do not know. I have no clue. But I am very scared that one day you all will find me out and be tragically disappointed, and I will lose my job and my friends, and it'll be terrible. And so what a great time for this, right? For all of these people to sniff out exactly who I am and if I'm doing my job well. So it was 10 minutes before the Zoom call, and I had banished my husband Isaac into our bedroom because we lived in this tiny apartment with one door. And so I, I shoved him in there and made him put his AirPods in because I was so embarrassed with how upset and worked up I was getting about a Zoom call which is insane. 
that I had this much panic. So I'm doing some deep breaths and praying for some kind of normalcy and security and calmness to just wash over me. Um, I'm also thinking at this point that Lindsay wouldn't know if I didn't show up to this. Um, Also, Lindsay didn't ask me to do this. I just decided that she would like me to. And I love lying to myself about what people expect of me. (laughs) And so suddenly, this call starts, and these little boxes with little faces are popping up on the screen, and they all look pretty normal, as I now also somehow do. We talk through our highs and lows and problem solve and talk about the woes of hanging out with middle schoolers. And then it's over. And I did it. And I was calm. I think that in my movement of showing up, of clicking join, as small of a finger movement as that is, was an invitation in itself for the Holy Spirit to come alongside me. That in my motions, I was desperate for something to give. That I wanted something to change that was inside of me. And now this might sound like a small and silly example, or it might not, if you understood my story a little too well. Um, But I think it's true in all parts of life. Maybe a prayer for movement for you might look like showing up to watch F1 with a group of people um, that all kind of scare you, but you're really trying to build community. You're trying really hard because you want something to change. You want something to give. You're dying for community. Maybe it looks like showing up to one of our prayer clinics, and you do not know what to expect, and you also aren't even that comfortable with praying out loud at all, but you're dying and asking for healing in your body or in your soul or in your life. In your movement, you are desperate for change. Or maybe it looks like at work and showing up into a meeting with all the people you hate, and they are terrible, and you don't like working with them. But going into that meeting, you understand that the pain that they are inflicting upon you comes from a pain much deeper inside of them. And so as you show up, you are praying for healing in them, knowing that what you are doing can make a difference by showing up in kindness and praying for their healing. When we are moving into something where we are fearful or anxious or overwhelmed, the Holy Spirit comes near to us as we call upon him. As we move, it becomes a prayer of desperation, agreeing in our minds and bodies that we need change. That as we travel in boldness and desperation, the Holy Spirit shows up alongside us. Movements of desperation become prayers of desperation when we just plead, come Holy Spirit. And we call upon him to come. And the next kind of prayer I want to move into um, is the prayer of our words. And this might be the one you're most familiar with. This is just saying that whenever we ask honestly, We believe the Holy Spirit will show up. It is a difficult jump, though, and I want to give it credit, to go from our safe house of prayer that we've built and to asking, come Holy Spirit. You know, and I know, that it's like just words, but we know that the ask is bigger than just words, right? It's like a marriage proposal. You can talk to your significant other about getting married and engaged and like the wedding and everything, and you can all know that you're on the same page. But whenever you get to that moment, You can't be sure that, one, everything you plan to say will come out right, and two, you can't be 100% sure of their answer. You don't know for sure what they're going to say. You can have a really good idea, but not for sure. And I think our asking of the Holy Spirit feels kind of similarly, but I can only give you advice on one of those two things. I think the Holy Spirit will always surprise us with how he shows up. I can't guarantee you a response from the Holy Spirit just by saying some certain word. But I think we can dive into what our asking of the Holy Spirit can look like. I've now mentioned quite a few times the simple vineyard prayer of come Holy Spirit. 
Um, but an ask so big feels like it needs some kind of context. And you would know this if you've ever received a text message from me to serve in your off week in kids' worship. Um, because I will send you an entire paragraph, and it is outlining, one, that I really do need your help, two, why I need your help, and, and three, that it's totally fine if you can't do it. It's really okay. We'll be fine. It'll be just fine. And I know that what I say and what I say in that paragraph can't actually change your answer because it really just depends on what your life looks like. But it feels better whenever I say it all. When we look back at the scripture where we read about the healthy and the sick, the next sentence says, I've come not to call those that are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And I think this is because when we are truly sick, we cannot fool ourselves into believing a false version of us. And I think we all do it, at least I do, so I hope at least some of you do. But there's so many things that we can convince ourselves of on a normal day that when we are sick or desperate, we just can't. Easily, on a normal day, I can tell myself that I can solve the world's problems and also carry it on my shoulders. Um, but when I'm sick and desperate, I know the truth that I can't. So have you ever found yourself here? I think it's in these moments where true honesty comes out in prayer, where we can say, come Holy Spirit, I am weak. Or come, Holy Spirit, I need help. Because there's power in admitting it, right? I can know it, and I can know it. And that connection usually happens when I say it out loud. Paul spoke about a thorn in his side in 2 Corinthians 12, saying three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of the Lord can work through me. Paul begged for relief, but he didn't find it. He asked very clearly in weakness and received a specific answer in it. Sorry, I just made a mistake that I'm going to fix right now. So sorry. So Paul begged for relief, but he didn't find it. I think he asked very clearly in weakness, and he received a specific answer in it. I think when we're able to cry out in honesty, knowing that we are weak or lost, the Spirit will have a chance to speak to that. Just like if we're sitting at dinner and you want to set the topic of the conversation, that's usually what we'll talk about, right? And so the Lord's response to Paul was that his power works best in weakness. Romans 8 reflects this, saying, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. In our honesty, I think we're able to see the suffering of Christ more clearly, able to share in his suffering. I think like Paul, sometimes Jesus and the Holy Spirit calm the storm and sometimes they calm their child. Now, I don't have a child, but it's one of the honors and privileges of my job that I get to watch you all parent your kids. And it really, really is a treat to get to watch and be a tiny part of what you do with your kids. Um, but what is most fun to me right now is watching the way that those of you with little ones parent your kids because somehow, through the blubbering madness of trying to figure out language, you can hear them and hear what they need and hear what they're trying to say, and it is marvelous. It is crazy. Sometimes you can hear them without them saying anything at all, right? And this is where I want to move into the prayers of our souls, the idea that our Father hears us without words. 
The prayer of your soul is beyond words or actions. Jesus was brought to near speechlessness himself in John 12, 27, saying, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Sorry, that's how I read it every time. I, th- I think it's funny. Um, uh, Psalm 119 says, My soul weeps because of grief. I don't know if you have felt your soul weep, but I feel like I have. A few years ago, I had a season of life where everything around me kind of just like came crashing down. I was forced into a lot of vulnerability really fast because I had been running from it for years, for most of my life, really. I had hurt the people I loved the most with this and also hurt myself. It was terrible. It wasn't good for anyone. I was hoarding pain, believing that if no one else was able to see it, that it wouldn't affect anyone else, but it ended up just exploding because for some reason, just hiding things in the closet doesn't usually work. I didn't want to hurt people, but that was basically all I did. And in those days, I was just a few months into pursuing my faith. I was really lost and really scattered. I didn't know how to read my Bible or really how to pray, and I was just kind of stumbling through it all. Have you ever looked back on a time in your life that was like really rough, and you realize that in that moment, you didn't really realize how bad it was? Because um, that was me in this time. I really thought I was pretty fine, and it was just me ignoring everything again. Um, but I didn't spend a lot of time praying for myself or praying for healing in myself or for the Holy Spirit to show up in my life. I decided that everything I had done caused me to need to send that outward, that I didn't need it. But somehow, the Holy Spirit showed up anyways, showed up in my parents in the ways that they loved and cared for me, showed up in my counselor in the way she was able to speak to the really dark corners of my soul, Showed up in my mentor, Sarah Stokes, and the way she was able to be really full of grace with me, even though I was bonkers. Um, And the Holy Spirit showed up in my heart, changing and forming me as someone who was lost and in need of aid. And I wasn't sure I deserved it. And on my worst days now, I'm still not sure if I deserved it. So I'm saying this for you and for me, if you feel this, that there's no area too gray for the Holy Spirit to show up. That my causing pain to others doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit comes to me last, but he comes to us all the same. Because I am you, I and you are still his beloved. We are still the one that he cares when we are sick. And we know we are in desperate, desperate need of aid. And maybe that's a burden that you're familiar with. Maybe that makes a lot of sense to you. But maybe it doesn't. Maybe a story of desperation in your life looks like pain so, so deep and hurtful has been caused to you. That it feels like there are no words or actions or anything you can do to surround yourself and to make something change for a move of the Spirit. That it just seems impossible. Or maybe your story looks like no one at all can be blamed for the burdens and the desperation in your world, which almost feels like the worst one. That you cannot point at what is causing you pain. That there is no conflict resolution that can be worked out with illness and loss. That you cannot, that there are no movements or words that can fight against a thing you cannot put your hands on. Romans 8 speaks to this in a way that brings me familiarity and comfort. And I don't know about you all, but whenever there is a scripture that feels like it aligns with my bones and my soul for what I know to already be true, it is a great, great comfort to me. So Romans 8 says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. 
For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. Have you all felt that groaning in your soul? I know I have, and I feel like I have daily alongside all of you. When we look around our community and our city and our world, there are so many things that can leave us overwhelmed and trapped, unable to move, unable to believe that there is anything that we can say or do to change this. But I think when no movements remain, the desperation of our souls really comes to light. Romans 8 continues on in saying, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads with us, believers, in harmony with God's own will. When we are sick in the Spirit and in need of aid, the Holy Spirit not only comes to us, but speaks for us. In the groanings of our souls, we know that we are heard because of the work of the Holy Spirit. That our sick souls are known and cared for and spoken for. As we kicked off today, looking at these prayers, um, I wanted you to walk with me to see where the Spirit has possibly worked in your life before. That you might see and know the work of the Spirit, not for a future self only, but for a past self. For you. I think that if we believe the Holy Spirit's purpose is to aid us in our time of need, do we think he hasn't shown up before? That when you have cried out with your movements and your words and your soul, that you were left alone. I think the Spirit loves to be near, and so he has been. So I ask as we move into Selah, if you will lead with a bit of curiosity and risk and hope. In our time for Selah today, I want you to ask yourself where you have seen the Spirit move in your life before. For a realization of familiarity that I think you've had with the Spirit all along. And knowing that the Spirit is with you in your times of need. So along that, will you ask yourself where you are sick? If you are sick. If it's in your body or your soul or your heart or your head. That where can we see and realize the sickness in ourselves and ask and plead, come Holy Spirit. I want you to let the knowing of mystery guide you, of the knowing what we don't know, but knowing what is true. And if you want to pray these prayers alongside someone or praying them uh, by yourself or praying them at all, seems too heavy, um, we're going to have people in the back that would like to pray for you and with you. Um, this is, praying is the part of the service that I really, really care about. I know we spend a lot of our time with someone on a stage, but getting up to show up for each other and to look at each other and say, I am with you and I am begging for the Spirit on your behalf is, I think, what we should do. I think that's what we should do. 
So if you're really worried about missing communion, I promise I'll save some for you. But if you would like prayer, let's get to praying.